Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I am Groot. Showtime, a holes. This is episode 135. <laughs> I'm Amanda. <laughs> yes, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 second teaser trailer dropped yesterday, and we noticed it while we were at the bar. Yes. We were extremely popular at the bar. We were very popular at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're done? You want your check? Wait a minute, wait a minute. So one more round, we're going to watch this again. <laughs> Give me your ear, bud. <laughs> Ew. You're a stranger. We're in here three times a week, and that's fucking strange. Get out. It is. It is. But yeah, it's uh, we noticed it. That's that's the only sound clip I got because it seemed like a perfect way to start out. <laughs> Showtime, a holes. <laughs> but uh, God, I'm looking forward to that movie. There was so much adorable baby Groot. I know you're you're a baby Groot uh, enthusiast. Yes, I wouldn't say fanatic, <laughs> but but uh, 2014 when the movie came out, you got a a commission from Sarah Richard. Yes, of baby Groot. Yes, dancing. And, Yes, and she does, uh, what is it, generally My Little Pony IDW yeah. uh, covers, interior art. So a good choice for yeah. Baby Groot. It's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, up, in our, up in our office wall. Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, the, the whole opening sequence with the, <laughs> the bomb. and Baby Groot. And, oh, Amanda, <laughs> Amanda was just cackling like a spastic <laughs> you know, in a perfectly good bar at a perfectly good Mexican restaurant. I am Groot. Well, I am Groot. I am Groot. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be a hell of a show if you keep that up. Yeah. <laughs> you keep it up. Fuck it. I am Groot. We'll do four hours today. <laughs> I'll just uh, I'll drop some no-dos into your scotch. <laughs> and uh, we'll ride until dawn. Well, that bodes well for my day job. Showtime, a-holes. All right, we'll move on from that. Uh, otherwise, yeah, it was a, a big week of watching television, which is not a thing that I knew. Well, that's not true. I tend to watch most of the comic book shows. Yeah. Uh, except Gotham, Gotham, I surf the net and listen over my shoulder while you while you watch. Gotham I, actually has been piling up on there. I I haven't really watched it since like the second or third episode this season. Yeah, Gotham and uh, Marvel's Agents of Shield has sort of been sitting there. Yeah, it's uh, I'm with that. I'm just not sure with that show anymore because they really made such a big deal about tying it closely to Marvel Cinematic Universe continuity when it first came out. Yeah. And even in the second year, it's like, here's where we're going to do all of our Inhumans heavy lifting. And then they sort of quietly drop the Inhumans off of the list of Marvel movies that are coming out. And yeah, Yeah. they they ain't getting Sam Jackson showing up to do a cameo no more. No. (laughs) So... So yeah, I'm not sure how crucial that even is. It was not a bad season the last last year. Just there's so much good superhero shit now. Well, and I kind of have to wonder if if the Inhumans are going to be sort of mar- put back into the margins again. We're going to be talking about some books later, and one of them is um, is it X versus I or I versus X? Or- yeah, Inhumans versus X Men number yeah. zero. So it's like, okay, here's the next event once Civil War II's done. <laughs> oh, well, at least it's something different. What's this one about? Oh, superheroes fighting superheroes. Fucking great. Thank God we got more of that going on. <laughs> I'm not tired of that in any fucking way. But that seems to be the the event that will put the issue of, of Inhumans or X-Men to bed, in theory. <laughs> yeah, well, and if the Inhumans go back into the closet, uh, that might... Be the end of Agents of Shield, maybe. Yeah. Maybe Phil Coulson will finally actually 
get his eternal rest. Perhaps he'll get to go back to Tahiti. <laughs> it's a magical it's place. It's a magical place. <laughs> but it also makes you wonder about those rumors you hear occasionally that Fox and Marvel are coming to some kind of agreement where they'll get to use the X-Men, much like the deal that's happening with Sony and Spider-Man. There has to be something to that, because the heart and soul of Fox's X-Men franchise is Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Right. And with Logan, i.e. old man Logan, coming out with you know Jackman basically saying, this is my last gasp, I'm done doing yeah, this. Yeah, and they're officially introducing X-23. Yeah, so they might be thinking maybe we've got a potential diminishing return here. Yeah. Particularly if Logan doesn't do that well, because the Wolverine, despite being a vastly better movie than X-Men Origins Wolverine, which I think only you have a soft spot for. Because <laughs> it was your one taste of America overseas. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was on a trip to Italy when I, I had a, a work print of that on my uh, media device. It was a Zune. <laughs> I bought it for you. It's a perfectly good device. I, Apple wanted like an extra hundred and a half for a fucking device. Fuck Apple. I, I just wanted to not name what it was in case the feds were listening to this and um, <laughs> wanted to come and take my device with the illegal copy of Wolverine X-Men. <laughs> it's, it was given to us by a kind person at the comic store. Uh, it was not transmitted to anybody else. That's uh, <laughs> our story, and we're sticking to it. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> if uh, if it turns out something goes wrong... So yeah, maybe there's something to those rumors, which uh, yeah would finally put the Inhumans to bed. As we'll talk about, I, I have... As we have talked about, I have no love for the Inhumans. Yeah. <laughs> but so I guess there's a possibility there. But it's, uh, yeah, it, there are just too many other good comic book and superhero shows out, including Lucifer, which you insisted upon us getting. I'm like, it's yeah. not going to be like Mike Carey's. And it's not. It's really not. But <laughs> it's become compelling in its own way. It's It really has kind of become a fun show to watch. Yeah, it really owes it mostly to the guy that they cast to be Lucifer, whose name escapes me at the moment, Tom something or other. Because um, he's just delightful. Parents would name their kid that. <laughs> something or other. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, he just has so much fun. And, that, and that's kind of, you know, we're going to be talking about Superhero, the the as you like to term it, DCW had yes. its um, four day crossover event, and one of the things that just strikes me about the shows that are successful are the ones where the the cast has embraced the joy of being involved in a genre property rather than taking themselves overly seriously. Oh, totally. Because, yeah, everybody, just about everybody in those DC shows is just clearly saying, what do you want me to do? Chew the scenery? Okay. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah. It, it, every, everything yeah. I learned from Strasbourg and the method, <laughs> I can chuck that and just come in with a big stupid smile on my face. Okay. That's it. And how much? What's my check? All right. <laughs> sure. Let's do this. <laughs> Why not? So you just want to get into the crossover? That's, yeah, that's sort of that. the, the the main crux of uh of this week's show yeah it was the the first four series crossover for the the dcw that yeah, was uh invasion well four-part crossover is sort of a strong statement but we'll we'll talk about the individual pieces yeah as it comes up but yeah it was a i hesitate to say an adaptation of dc's <laughs> late 1980s invasion event okay the invasion was originally a 1988 or 89 
uh, crossover. You said recently republished too. Yeah, it was, and you know that was prime time for being a teenager reading comics, and I certainly remember Invasion, but I didn't have enough love for it to go buy the trade paperback. Yeah, it came out like three or four years ago, and uh, yeah, it just didn't occur to me to pick up because uh, yeah, it was written by Keith Giffen and I think Bill Mantlo did oh. some of the scripting. But yeah, it was pretty much notable for only a couple of things. It was pretty much Todd McFarlane's last art for DC before he moved completely over to Marvel to do Amazing Spider-Man and then Spider-Man and then finally blessedly stop fucking around with Spider-Man <laughs> and go over to Image Comics to do Spawn where you could choose to pay attention or not. But it also gave DC the concept of the gene bomb, mm. uh, which led to the concept of metahumans in DC and sort of gave DC an excuse to have what amounts to mutants. So yeah. People have the metagene and sometimes it just gets activated because origin stories are hard to write, apparently. <laughs> it's as soon as... As soon as Jack Kirby and Stan Lee came upon, uh, they were born with it. Move on. And then you could just throw them on a panel and you could get on with your life. Yeah. Not that DC ever really <laughs> embraced that and ran with it too much. No. I'm trying to think of anybody who was just sort of born with metagene powers. You know, there were a few that were awakened because of the gene bomb in that event. That's where Maxwell Lord got his mental powers. Okay. <laughs> Of course, the mental powers he originally got were straight out of the Firestarter movie. Yeah, like didn't he get a nosebleed every time he used them? Yeah, and he had to really concentrate to get... Yeah, he had the power to influence people. And he had to really concentrate to get people to do it, and his nose would bleed. And somehow along the line, that turned into, oh, I've influenced half of the hemisphere, and now I can shoot Ted Cord in the face. Eh. (laughs) Prescient. Um. I guess. (laughs) Yeah, when it co- the, the two main stories I remember coming out of that, and it's only because I had the Animal Man trade, were to show how much of a bigger event it was in the comic books. Pretty much almost all the alien races sort of were part of the invasion mm. of the comic crossover, like the Kuns uh, and the Thanagarians. And yeah, there was a, a Grant Morrison Animal Man story where he was alone against two or three Thanagarians, and they had planted a bomb, and Buddy Baker's panicking because he doesn't know what to do. He's like, oh, God. And, and then Hawkman shows up just goes, dink. It's like, you just have to turn it off, <laughs> which is something I'd love to see in some secret bomb story. It's always, yeah. which wire? I'm on the phone with the bomb squad. And somewhere there has to be somebody saying, nobody's going to fucking find this. Just give it an on switch. <laughs> You'd think it would happen eventually. You'd think. We got an animal, man. As long as I got it one place, I'm fine with that. I could shudder through all the things like Jeff Bridges' Blown Away and all the other... <laughs> it's the only bomb movie I can think of on the top of my head. Speed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, all right. There was speed. <laughs> uh, you're right. If only there were a bigger movie about bombs than Jeff Bridges' <laughs> Blown Away. Memorable only because it's shot in Boston and fucked traffic up in 1993. <laughs> But uh, yeah, there was that one and his follow-up story, which is actually kind of a classic, Death of the Red Mask, which I had to go back okay. and, and revisit after we watched the, the the episodes this week. And it was, yeah, it was just about this old supervillain who has cancer, mm. and he decided, screw it, I'm going to die. So he took uh, he, he bought a bunch of robots off some other 1940 supervillain <laughs> and just set him off in the middle of Miami. Nice. Because he retired to Miami. Of course. As supervillains will do. Yeah. But the robots were shitty, <laughs> so they would just wander around and blow stuff up if they bumped into something. <laughs> and uh, he, <laughs> the Red Mask decides, you know what? All these people got extra powers from the gene bomb. Uh, I don't want to live anymore, so I'm going to jump off this roof and see if I can fly. 
and it's Animal Man trying to talk him out of it. He's like, you know, you've got a great story. I've got people in the media. We can get you on TV. And he seemingly talks the guy down, and he's like, yeah, I'll be on TV. And then it's like a panel beat, and he's like, ah, screw it. And he dives <laughs> off the roof. And for two panels, he's like, I'm doing it. I'm flying. And uh, yeah, but he didn't have any control over uh, direction or gravity or being able to stop. It's like when Jessica Jones tries to fly. <laughs> yeah, except I was sort of subtly saying he, he couldn't fucking fly. Yeah. <laughs> He stayed afloat. Oh. Yeah, it was a 32 feet per second per second. It's been a while since uh, sure. high school physics. I can't help you with this math problem. You know who could help the fine folks at Berkshire Brewing Company, <laughs> who still won't sponsor the show as far as I know. Tonight it's Lost Sailor IPA, because they were out of steel rail pale ale. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying that beverage, of which you have three open. <laughs> I just, I don't want to have to guess. I just want to reach over and have a beer. <laughs> It's the only way I can get through this show. <laughs> in in thinking about invasion, it's it was not a terrible idea for Greg Berlanti and the other showrunners to tackle this mm. because uh, number one, the the dominators, the one, some of the stuff they did take from it is the idea that the dominators were doing this to eliminate metahumans. It's a good excuse to get everybody from all the shows together. Yeah, the dominators were visually striking like Todd McFarlane drew them in this so you know it's all big teeth and weird look and so it's visually striking enough it's like okay great we'll just focus on them we don't have to worry about uh, Daxamites and the Cuns and all these others who are coming in plus by doing it that way and not bringing the Thanagarians in Mm. nobody had any excuse to bring back fucking Hawkman and Hawkgirl from Legends of Tomorrow thank Christ so yeah I think I speak for all fans in saying thank you (laughs) the weakest part of season one (laughs) they tried and I respect that but trying is the first step toward failure (laughs) as a wiser man than me once said but it's it's also this is it's not exactly a beloved DC event no you can fuck invasion up and not piss off any comic fans. It's not yeah. like Crisis on Infinite Earths or right. anything. You know? Right, right. There, to be fair, when it comes to DC events, there are a lot of them that you could do that with. Mm. Yeah. The CW presents the Trinity War. Jesus. <laughs> Even worse, the DW, we're the only ones who like it. The CW presents Identity Crisis. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> They've already got Ray Palmer. It's not like it's he true. had anything to fucking do in this crossover anyway. Why not? Give him his day in the sun. Yeah. To display misery. <laughs> you're going to chew a whole different set of scenery, Brandon. <laughs> and then you're off the show because you disappear at the end of Identity Crisis. Mm. And then we can kill Ryan Choi. Oh, boy. <laughs> as, as a way to bring all these things over with sort of a general framework, and it really is just the general framework of yeah. at least what I remember and what I was able to pull off of Wikipedia and DC Wikia of the original invasion event, because, you know, 1988, there's a lot of miles and beers between <laughs> me and then. Certain memories, i.e. most of them, are hazy. It was almost so, 30 years ago. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the big pieces of it that they took, they seem to do pretty well with. I mean, overall... I had a lot of fun with it. What was sort of your general impressions of it? It was in no way perfect. No, but I I gleefully watched it every night this week. (laughs) Yeah, and then rewatched them sober so I could pay attention to them. Yeah, no, it was a great deal of fun watching the giant team up. I I can't deny that. Like, For all the, the bitching and moaning we've done about the DC cinematic universe in terms of failed opportunities to 
show off heroes teaming up and and just general you know grim gritty dark crap this was a collection of individuals that was bright and happy and <laughs> and doing heroics together and it just was a joyful thing to watch yeah i mean even oliver who has always been the recalcitrant one yeah. and certainly had moments of that in this yeah he had a, and he had a couple of flat out like why are you doing that uh, it's storytelling expediency but we'll talk about yeah. those <laughs> but uh yeah even that uh, the good thing about it, we're in our fifth year overall of the the DCW universe, uh, and what the third year of the flat, well, fourth year because he debuted in Arrow. Yeah, but it's been enough time that even Green Arrow, the loner, has been able to work with these people, and we can see that there's respect. In, you know, even if he's naturally the leader and naturally wants people to do what he says or not, you know, yeah. don't do this thing if I tell you to do it. There's enough respect there. Like the moment uh, in The Flash where there's some pressure against The Flash and Oliver stands up and says, no, The Flash should be in charge. Yeah. Well, it doesn't fucking last. It doesn't last no. more, than, <laughs> more than an act break until the next, but he makes an effort because there's effort. some respect there. So you know, even the people who are, who would be most comfortable at least a few seasons back in the the DC cinematic universe uh, worked well in this kind of setup. Yes. And yeah, if you're a comic book fan, a a big team up should be fun. It should be fun. And I'm sorry, there's as a comic book fan and a DC fan looking at, you know, a, a, a frozen panel where, Everybody is suited up and ready to get into a fight. It just, it makes you happy. (laughs) Yeah, it's like when we saw the first big trailer for Avengers with the big hero shot tracking around. We got two or three of those in this. And yeah, it's it's a panel. It's a pinup panel. But that's okay, because that's part of what we love about these things. Right. You know, Supergirl standing next to Green Arrow in real life, Supergirl talking to Wild Dog. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> that was one of the greatest moments of my life with Wild Dog saying, I don't trust you and I don't like you. Yes, all right. I'm on board. <laughs> Wild Dog is an interesting character. They've, they've been doing some some cool things with him, I think. Oh, yeah. He's in no way the original Wild Dog, who I only barely remember from. Mm. <laughs> those are well away in storage someplace, if I even ever owned them. I think I read them at some point or another. But yeah, having number one, just seeing that costume that was it was so heavily advertised in like 1987 mm. when I was getting heavily into comic books because I finally had a job and could spend my own money on them, you know, beyond you know uh, five dollar allowance. Yeah, even back in the day of sixty cent comics, that only went so far. But man, when you're macking the bagging aisle at the supermarket, <laughs> you can get all kinds of comics. And so I saw those wild dog ads everywhere and uh, yeah, to be 45, but now it's he's on my TV. Yeah. He's not the same guy and he's a, he's a dick to green arrow, but yes. <laughs> it's all right. We found a place in DC to have a recalcitrant angry man with a gun <laughs> and he's still a hero. Yeah. More of a hero than Mr. Terrific who sucks on DCW. They're trying. I, I think it's when you've already got, Felicity, who's been built up to be this amazing intellect and essentially sort of the the willow of the group, yeah. To to, to coin Buffy speak, um, all right. <laughs> at this point, everything sort of gets filtered through Buffy. And yeah, super heroics on TV. So you've you've got her. So it becomes that much harder to. It, how many geeks can you have on one on one stage at any given time? 
and all have something relatively important to do that moves the story along. It, it's all in how you do it, because God knows part of what was fun about this was there's some of these actors and characters have really good chemistry together. Yeah. Felicity and Cisco. Oh God. Together. <laughs> that's never not going to be fucking fun. They right. finish each other's sentences as stupid as they might be. Yeah. When are they going to finally realize that they should just be together? Yeah. Just fuck her, Cisco. <laughs> fuck her blue. <laughs> but, uh, even weird chemistry, Supergirl and Heatwave. Oh my God. <laughs> Who should not have had any any chemistry whatsoever? Just because skirt. Yeah, well, just because. Yeah, you you mentioned this to me, and it's really when I started noticing it. Melissa Benoist, I think, is how you pronounce it. Yeah, my parents would name their kid that. But uh, she plays Supergirl, and she just wears her emotions on her sleeve. And you you pointed out to me when she smiles, it's a big goofy. So it's not a model smile. It's yeah. just joy. And, and she crinkles her nose. It's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> when she's consternated, she wrinkles up her whole head. And Dominic Purcell uh, as Heatwave, he's just so dry and sarcastic. It's the one sound clip that I pulled <laughs> that I pulled from the entire thing was uh, when Supergirl asks him, what do they call you Heatwave? And he says, I burn my family alive and I like to light things on fire. And it's just the look on her face. <laughs> That was not the answer I was expecting. Yeah, and he's just straight answering, this is why they call me Heatwave. <laughs> <It's a, laughs> yeah. I wish I was in high school now, because that would be my fucking yearbook quote. <laughs> I might ask you to put it on my tombstone. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so what do, you think, what do you think about your high school experience, Rob? I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. <laughs> your family doesn't listen to this show, right? Oh, Christ, I hope not. <laughs> I haven't given them the name. They know I do something with microphones because they've been in the house, but I, I haven't told them what it is. So, and, uh, and yeah, you mentioned the skirt thing. My other favorite moment, I didn't grab audio of it. Like I said, that's the only audio I grabbed, was uh, when he says, yeah, I'm not going to call you Supergirl. That's stupid. I'll call you skirt. But then when they get t- attacked and immobilized by the uh, by the aliens, he's like, do something, Supergirl. <laughs> Like, absolutely no courage behind it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Flash and Supergirl together from last year's crossover. Because yeah. clearly they're both, both of, of all the series, those are the two where just embracing being a superhero story is front and center. And both Grant Gustin and uh, Melissa Benoist. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Uh, <laughs> you don't get tired of that one. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but uh, they play the characters as being like, being a superhero is fucking awesome. Yeah. So watching them together is always going to be fun. And they they had a few decent moments. Unfortunately, one of their decent moments was yeah, she's possessed by the uh destructors. Is that it? Dominators. Dominators. I'm uh, mm, beer. Mm, beer. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're kind of racing each other, but even then, you know, the idea of a Superman Flash yeah. race is as old as the Silver Age for Christ's sake. So, Absolutely. So that was a hoot. Uh, the one thing I really thought this was going to be an excuse to do would be to merge Supergirl's universe, which we have learned is Earth-38. Is it? Okay. It is officially Earth-38. It was mentioned, I think, in Legends of Tomorrow. Okay. And I confirmed it online. So we know there's 52 Earths there because <laughs> Flash established it and everything you see with a number on it says 52. says 52 in any of these shows. And once you start seeing it, you can't fucking stop. <laughs> And I hope they stop, because it's Rebirth now. Let's forget the 52. Let's move on. Please. 
But uh, I, I really thought it would be an excuse to do it because now that they're all on one channel, on one hand, for storytelling, it would have made everyone's life easier to have them in the same playground. Mm. The more I thought about it, it makes more sense to keep Supergirl pieced off into her own world because it keeps the Omega-level powers off away from... Because because what do you need Green Arrow for if in a world of Superman and Supergirl? Right. So it, it keeps them off to, to keep the main universe where, yeah, the idea of a Flash is still that's high-powered, which I think makes more sense for that universe. And then, yeah, the way they closed it out. And by the way, we, we will have constant... Constant spoilers about this beyond... I burn my family alive. I like to light things on fire. But uh, yeah, Cisco came up with this little portable universe generator. So now crossing over is trivial whenever the hell they want to do it, and it solves storytelling problems to to get her into their universe or vice versa while keeping everybody separated. Yes. So that was one thing. I mean, even though the official Flashpoint storyline was in the Flash a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. as this came up, you and I kept calling it Flashpoint because we figured that was something that was going to happen. Right. So I'm kind of glad that it didn't. Yes. While still finding a way to make it, okay, yeah, we can all play in each other's sandboxes whenever somebody needs the ratings. <laughs> <laughs> or when we decide we need some sort of event. Yeah. And I'm fine with the once a year crossovers. It's yeah. worked for the last couple of years. Yep. I agree. Although somewhere... Greg Berlanti, it wouldn't surprise me if somewhere in his head he's like, you know something? Uh, running four shows is really fucking hard. I'm just going to do Justice Society and re-sign everybody's contracts. <laughs> well, we, we did see as an Easter egg uh, a glimpse of what could be a Hall of Justice. It, okay. <laughs> it, it was not an Easter egg because it was not a glimpse. They walloped us in the head with the Hall of Justice building over and over and over again. Specifically the one from Super Friends. Yeah, and that <laughs> sucks. It's I, I. You didn't get a little bit of like of a giggle out of it. Come on, I didn't look. I was a fan of Super Friends, same as anybody who grew up in the seventies or the eighties. If you were a superhero fan, that's most of where you saw it on TV. But I found it far more distracting because if you if you're my age and you grew up in the seventies and the eighties and you were reading comics in say high school Mm. before the Batman movie came out and sort of normalized superheroes, at least a little bit, you know, getting super friends yelled at you was just as derogatory as getting Hey, Biff and pow and Batman's fucking Robin. He's a petter ass. All of this shit is stuff that you would get mocked with in high school. So it's, it's something people reference to make fun of you. And I'd argue that the term super friends would be worth taking back. I'm taking it back, except it's so fucking stupid. Super friends is not the name of <laughs> it's not the name of a group. It's not the name of a super team. It's a it, it it's what it sounds like. It's a cartoon name. It's it's the name you give a superhero group when you're targeting the show primarily to ages six through eight. <laughs> yeah, which is fine it didn't bother me at all when i was a kid but you're not going to do anything modern with it you know in the big old hall of justice all i can at least they have sort of built in a reason for it to exist now with yeah wally having not wally barry having taken over ownership of star labs oh it was a star labs building so i just sort of have it now that's <laughs> i'm reminded otherwise of the uh the robot chicken <laughs> sketch of you know, wow, the upkeep on the Hall of Justice is so expensive. You know, do we know any millionaires who might be? And Batman says, nope, we don't know anybody. <laughs> so maybe Bruce Wayne. No, Bruce Wayne wouldn't want to do that. I'm just guessing. But. 
it does beg the question, it, having shown this building and the scope of the campus of Star Labs, how much money does Barry have now? I don't know. I don't know what their intellectual assets are. <laughs> however, money, however much money he has, think of the liabilities of the lawsuits that I'm mm. sure are coming in from the particle seller accelerator explosion from, True. from the first season. Uh, shit, did that even happen in Arrow? Yeah. Either way, there's lots of lawsuits. So he may have property that nobody cares about. Right now he's got a staff of four, including yeah. himself. So it's not like they're dumping out patents every, <laughs> every day of the well, week. Well, when do they have time to work? They're always doing shit to support Barry. <laughs> oh, exactly. So, so you know, he's got this asset. If somebody they, clearly, it, it will never be a Justice League show. But mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how many years Stephen Amell still has on his contract. Yeah. But you know, as a way to keep him on, fine. You you will have a smaller job of work, so you can go out and do other things. But you'll be part of Justice Society. It won't be Justice League. And it sure as hell won't be Super Friends. Yeah. <laughs> Just sitting here going, Super buddies. Super friends <laughs> with Superman and Heat Wave. I burn my family alive and I like to light things on fire. It's not going to work. You can't do Super Friends with Heat Wave. Nice. <laughs> so it was a four, four night event, although the Supergirl part of it really, they only showed up for about the, like, the last two minutes of the show. Yeah, that's my first note here on Supergirl, because I broke stuff out episode by episode, so you want to start just going through it yeah. overall. And again, spoilers galore. <laughs> I, I will tell you, I learned today, if you haven't seen these, there are people who are posting the episodes in like three minute blocks on YouTube. So you can go get them if you don't want to install the CW app. Otherwise, apparently, you can get all of these on the CW app on your phone or your tablet mm. or whatever weird device you might have that isn't a computer because you can steal it on a computer, even though it's already on YouTube. But So if you, if you haven't seen them, that's a couple of ways to go see them. Yeah. So regardless of, of how much Barry was or was not in Supergirl on the first night, the overall theme for all four nights was, and I just steal this liberally from J. Jonah Jameson, aliens, threat or menace? <laughs> yeah. It's, you absolutely have a point. Thematically, Medusa was tied in. Yeah. Medusa was the name of, uh, of the Supergirl episode this week. It was tied into, yeah, that idea. Plus overall, the idea of preemptive measures to defend your people or your planet. Right. Because... What we learned in Supergirl this week was Supergirl's father had created a virus that wipes out just about every alien race except Kryptonians, which is great. Just don't stop and think about it for too long because humanity would be an alien race to Kryptonians Mm -hmm. and it should have killed everybody in sight instead of just the good aliens that look good on TV and can fly. Yeah. Don't question uh, holes in the plot. You can drive a bus through. It's impolite to the writer. I got the impression that they tinkered with the virus so as to make it specific to everybody that wasn't a human. Okay. That's a possibility. I'm pretty sure that they they mentioned something about that. This is the only episode I watched drunk both times. Okay. (laughs) So I may have missed certain things. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, since Kara is in this position of, I'm an alien... But I'm a good person, so why would somebody want to do something? Why would somebody not want to get to know me, and and why would they want to wipe me out without, you know, at least trying to work through whatever the perceived issue is? Yes. And then coming to the realization that her parents were in a situation where they were being similarly closed-minded and trying to wrestle with that. Like, how could these people that I thought were good people 
be be of the same mindset as um, Lena Luther's mother, who I'm fighting. Yes. So that that was certainly thematically tied in, as was you know it, we learn throughout the crossover that the Dominators are attacking because they've discovered meta humans. They've dealt with meta whatevers uh, on other planets. Yeah, on other planets, and have been threatened by them. So they're taking preemptive action against Earth to stop the metahuman threat or menace. Yeah. At the very least, the humans involved in invasion try to take a higher road. Uh, one of them is, okay, let's at least ask them what they're doing and why they're doing it. As soon as they find out, it was very simple for Professor Stein to say, well, I've invented this thing that will cause them excruciating fucking pain because this is war. <laughs> yes. Um, and they've learned that, oh, Cisco learns by, oh, by trying to be a better person in air quotes and releasing this dominator from, uh, captivity by humanity. Yes. Uh, all I've done is threaten us more. There's a lot of moral gray area about preemptive strikes and preemptive measures and total warfare and biological warfare. Well, and Cisco needed this because he'd been, I don't want to say it's a high horse. His, His brother in this timeline died and 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 he's blamed Barry for it. Yes, because he died as a result of Barry trying like, to modify his past in Flashpoint and save his family. Right. So for him to realize that actions he took having time traveled have now affected the present makes him more more in a headspace where he can understand what Barry's going through and and the choices that are difficult that we all have to make. Oh, absolutely. Although well, I don't have to make them, but well, no, it's a you. You do have superpowers, but they mostly involve liquor. <laughs> but yeah, Barry, I think just missed a sure bet by not going with a standard excuse that solves everything. Of <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so yeah, that's there was a lot of gray area, not just on that, but on time travel in total. And I, I will want to talk about that in a little more because. I think this had very jumbled messages on <laughs> how one handles a time travel story yeah. and whether it's positive or negative. Well, it also gets into the idea of, you know, what legacy are parents leaving behind? And and Kara struggles with, you know, is the Medusa virus my parents' legacy? And John has to tell her, no, you are their legacy. Um Professor Stein. For the love of God, don't tell my parents that. <laughs> they'll be out. They'll be giving my inheritance to fucking charity. <laughs> they'll be working soup kitchens. Um, Professor Stein, because of choices he made in a previous story, discovers that he, there is now a timeline in which he has a daughter that he doesn't know. And even though he, he struggles with that, and by the end of this whole series, realizes that now she. She's a good thing to have in the world, even though she's a time aberration, so I must keep her secret from everybody. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, why don't, why don't we tackle the, the time travel piece at this point? Because one thing that I found interesting and kind of troubling is, number one, if you're going to say, let's examine the concept of time travel and the inherent potential evils to it and whether mm-hmm. it is positive or negative, you'd think you'd do it and lock it down before you had a complete fucking TV series <laughs> about people who do nothing but go around in time right. and try and fucking change things. Um, but the overall messaging on that, I think, was strange because 
really it almost seems like everything kind of works out. Yeah. No matter what they change. You know, people might be angry and, you know, blame, but, you know, Barry did lose his family again, but he got to spend a few months with his mom. Yeah. So he got something positive out of it. Like closure. Yeah. And, and even though doing this fucked things up and brought the, uh, the crisis headline that was such a big thing in the first season that, oh, there's going to be a crisis and I'm going to vanish in five years, brought that back in and it pushed the date out five years. Yeah. Even though that happened, so suppose, what was the date on that? 2024, 2025? That's, yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Even so, one of the, the linchpin moments of the Flash episode of this was the Legends of Tomorrow found a taped message of Barry from 40 years in the future, which is past the date of this crisis, right. which means no matter what happens, we know Barry's going to survive. Yes, but in what fashion? Because that recording says that people shouldn't trust him. Well, and and that's true, but you know, it's <laughs> All right, so there's a negative. Not everything is positive. Yeah. There were a lot more positives on this that I thought were negative. I mean, we've got Diggle lost a daughter but gained a son. Yeah. So that's almost a wash. You lost a daughter that you never knew about and you still have a child and had you never known about it it would have been fine. Right. <laughs> Uh, Professor Stein, yeah, he changes the timeline, like you said, and it's like, oh, no, I've changed it. I've created a daughter, but turns out I think I love her, so fuck it. We're going to let that go, and that'll at least make my life better. Right. Uh, Cisco lost his brother, but let's face it, we met his brother. His brother was a cock. Dante was a dick. Yeah, we didn't lose a cure for cancer there. Nothing of value was really lost. And then, yeah, Cisco changes the timeline and forces the Dominators to come attack Earth, but even that worked out. Yeah. I mean, it looks like Barry is not going to marry Iris now, but that's all right, because Iris is the fucking worst. <laughs> if we can hot girl her out in this episode... Well, I do believe, doesn't she canonically get fridged at some point? Isn't that... <laughs> pre-crisis, yes. Reverse Flash kills her. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's the whole trial of the Flash, is then Flash pursues him, and at least visual... At least as everybody, as far as everybody's concerned, he breaks his neck. Okay. So that's... Shit, I've got that showcase trade. Now I want to go read that again because <laughs> that was not bad as pre-crisis books go. But uh, oh, and and as a, a result of Barry's meddling with the timeline, now um, Caitlin Snow has become Killer Frost, or at least has got the powers and is wrestling with her ability to use them and not lose her soul. But hey, powers! But hey, powers! So <laughs> it just it seems to me like oh, and Wally has powers now. Yeah, and and he loves them. And Iris is just the worst fucking scold. <laughs> I hated her in this. I don't, I'm not fond of this character in most of the episodes, but uh, she's just lying to Wally, bullying her father and bear, bullying her father. Yeah. And uh, no, you lie to him and tell him he's not ready. She would rather watch Barry get fucking atomized by Firestorm <laughs> and let the earth burn than let Wally become a superhero. Not to mention a superhero with the best costume in the history of comic books. I can't stand Iris. Well, it's, yeah. And this this is, uh, I think, the worst episode uh, with her in memory. Yeah. Look, Wally has powers. Deal with it. You guys have the equipment. <laughs> exactly. Let him learn. But yeah, everybody's going in and tickering with the timeline, and it looks like everything's going to be fine. And uh, okay, there's some potential negative. But this episode, this thing, what this entire series really needed was for Rip Hunter to come back. Yeah. And just start smacking people on the side of the head and putting his future <laughs> iPad in, the, in your face going, look, Earth burns because yeah, because Kid Flash was uh, attending uh, auto repair school <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Could, could you all please stop fucking about 
the dominators need to be taken care of because my wife and child are still dying. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, people. <laughs> uh, that's true. I don't miss Rip Hunter. It is my wife and child every week and a half. Yeah. Not even a week and a half. Every 20 minutes. <laughs> but I do miss Rip Hunter. God damn it. Yeah. So in, in the Flash episode, the dominators show up and uh, the majority of the metas get mind controlled. Actually, not even the metas. Also, I think Speedy gets it and um, Diggle. Oh yeah, it's it's everybody except uh, Barry. Barry and Arrow, right? Which you know, again, the, the time travel thing, that whole message from the future, which number one completely shows that the Flash will survive, but number two, here's an expedient storytelling way to. <laughs> to make the star not be in a position where he gets mind controlled and he better have somebody on his side. His oldest friend, Oliver. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, that was... For all the impact that that message finally had, it was really just a way to to make it... to have a superhero fight. Right. And on one hand, I'm superhero fought out to death <laughs> when we talk about books related to Civil War this week. <laughs> but it's part of superhero team-up canon. Yes. They're supposed to fight up front for a while for a variety of reasons, be it a misunderstanding, be it mind control, whatever. So it's really canonical for the genre to for this to have happened. Yes. So I'm okay with it. And it was it was a pretty decent fight. It was. So and it, it let Wally do something. And then get his head bashed in. But at least he did something. <laughs> he did something. He learned what it was like to to try to be a superhero. Yeah. So that was I was Totally fine with that scene. It was a good action sequence. The training leading up to it, I thought, was mostly stupid. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I can watch Supergirl beat up people <laughs> all day long. That's fine. I never, right from the beginning, Oliver's idea, his concept is we're going to train against Supergirl because then we're training against an alien. Well, well, that and that's part of the, the thematic issue that that is running through all of these episodes is not being able to take people slash aliens as individuals and lumping them together as a big bad. And the aliens are a stand in for whatever people fear. It could be, you know, Oh gosh, it's, you know, immigrants or, Oh no, it's somebody with a different religion than me or it's somebody who has a different lifestyle than me. You do have a point there. And I hadn't really considered it on that level. I considered it as a geek. It's like, well, we're not fighting Daxamites. We're not fighting people with Supergirl's powers. We're we're fighting big tooth <laughs> <laughs> dominators. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's you're not going to learn anything except wow, Supergirl kicked my ass. Yeah, which is not a bad lesson to learn, I suppose. But you know, it gave us some extra localized action scenes in the Hall of Justice. You know, <laughs> so you save some, give some action, but save a little bit of money on some of the budget for yep. the big final battle at the end. It's uh, the training didn't make any sense to me, but the more I think about it, I'm sure that Berlanti and company said, "Fine, we'll we'll keep everything in the warehouse for these training scenes, and just do a couple of super powered shots so we can save all the money for the big fight at the end." And even the big fight at the end, you know, compare it to the worst Marvel or DC movie, looks kind of cheap. Yeah, but with that said, if you grew up in the in the '80s. <laughs> Yeah, I'm picturing me at 10 years old walking out of Superman 2, which was the first superhero on superhero live action fight that I ever saw. And if Rip Hunter came up to me with his future iPad and said, <laughs> look at this training scene from <laughs> The Flash, which, which will, will be, be on a, your television, on your television for nothing. 
every fucking week. I would have shit in my pants. <laughs> I would have gone straight for his balls to try to get that out of his hands. The future is awesome. <laughs> it really is. I, I enjoy the future. I do too. It's got its downsides. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just the idea that we get this kind of superhero action that 15, 20 years ago would have been impossible. I mean, look back on the original Flash TV series where it was, okay, uh, we're going to put you on a treadmill, Wes, (laughs) (laughs) with a blue screen and just do fast backgrounds next to you. Yeah. God, I love... (laughs) CGI is not perfect, but it's a lot of things possible. There was some CGI in this that was a little wonky, but for the most part, they were able to to carry off the, the majority of the effects. Yeah, it's uh, none of it's perfect, particularly TV level where people doing stuff in a hurry. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be, a, uh, that doesn't look quite right. But compared to what you could have prepared with practical effects, uh, this is, consider the source, uh, I'm on my second beer, but it <laughs> seems to me that when they did the Flash TV series in 1990, they also priced a Green Lantern series with practical effects, and it would have been like $15 million an episode. Wow. Now, you could do Green Lantern. Shit, I could do Green Lantern on my computer right now, and it's six years old. <laughs> so I don't think I, I don't think I can complain about too much. Where it's like, oh, that uh, Daxamite looks matted in. <laughs> yeah, and then somebody punches it, and it uh, doesn't look like they're just swinging against a wall. Okay, uh, I'll be fine with this. That whore. Dominator. What did I say? Daxamite. That's that's Monel. Uh, yeah. Fuck Monel. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he seems to have that happen to him pretty much every episode. Uh, he, he's like the dawn of Supergirl. <laughs> oh, Monel's in trouble again. Must be Monday. Yeah, but <laughs> he also gets laid all the time. That's true. Must be Monday. I wish I was a Daxamite. That's <laughs> <laughs> superpowers and almost die of the, the super flu or whatever the hell it was. Mm. All right, there's a downside. There's a downside. So the Flash episode was pretty straightforward when it comes to your, your standard superhero team-up idea. Yep. It's like, okay, they'll be... You know, a, a misunderstanding or a mind control, and there will be a fight, and there'll be a certain amount of mistrust, and God knows at the very least there'll be... I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. Which will <laughs> redeem almost anything. Pretty I mean, much. Yeah, I, I would <laughs> I would watch fucking Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon if once an episode I could get... I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. That's, uh, watch any show you want. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Michael Land Michael Landon would just try to like you know, it's okay, God has a plan for you. Walk beside me. Like, I, like, I too have a plan. I burn my family alive and I like to light things on fire. <laughs> Let's bring back heroes. My name is Hiro Nakamura. I'm from the future and I have a message for you. I burn my family alive and I like to light things on fire. I'd like to see Heatwave drop in an episode of Murder She Wrote. <laughs> be, be twenty seconds long. Yeah. Which would be alright. <laughs> Hi, stranger. Welcome to Cabot Cove. I burn my family alive. I like to light things on fire. Well, the hotel is down the stretch. <laughs> oh, we didn't get that. We got these shows, and they're good. They are good. All they right. Good. So that uh, the that first Flash episode was relatively straightforward. Uh, the second episode was Arrow, uh, which I think was the best of the three. Yeah, I, I think so. It because it was again. It, Barry had his opportunity earlier in his season to have closure with his alternate timeline. This was some sort of, you termed it well, sort of a 
retelling of the man who has everything or yeah, the the Alan Moore story. Yeah. That, which is funny because they did that already already in Supergirl. <laughs> that's right, they did. Shit, I forgot about that. Um but in this particular case they had everybody sort of in this weird pod and they were having them have the shared dream experience in which nobody had powers and this is what it would have been like if uh nobody <clears throat> had ever gotten ship- shipwrecked or or gone off and, and gotten lost on an island for five years. Yeah, and Oliver got the main thrust of of the whole what if your greatest dream came through, which makes sense. It's yeah. it's his show. It's his his show. name <laughs> his name's above the title. So yes. he'll he'll get it. Yeah, it's uh, just I'm looking at my notes here and, and one thing <laughs> I noticed was showing that Oliver's greatest dream was apparently to marry Laurel instead of Felicity. That should be a nice Olive Branch to the the Arrow subreddit that was so enraged by season four yeah. that by the end of it they started discussing Daredevil instead <laughs> of Arrow. That the Felicity relationship is weird in genre TV. It is just because normally, yeah, the the geek hacker girl never gets the hero, right? And particularly with Green Arrow, the history in comics is no Green Arrow gets with Black Canary. That's the history. It, it must have been interesting in the showrunner's room in like season two of Arrow realizing that no people really like this other character yeah so fuck it why don't we have that work out and it must have I I guarantee it took a lot of balls to do that because you're breaking very obviously from the comic book continuity that you're also trying to lift from well it's it's a tough thing too because fans are, are very split on whether or not they liked Laurel those who liked Laurel wanted the canonical relationship to to be in place. Those who didn't were perfectly fine <laughs> with with what went down. Yeah, it's a I, I won't bullshit. I'm not a shipper on any of these shows, but I liked the I still like the Felicity character. I tend to agree with the masses uh, on Reddit, <laughs> <laughs> but also you know just sort of fans of the show. Season four that really kind of caused a problem because this was this has historically been a show about you know a gritty obsessed street level superhero yes and now half of it is soap opera and the villain is magical mm. so it was very much an outlier season from from all the others yeah and i think they've gone a certain way rehabbing it this season so I, I get what people were upset about, but yeah, I I liked Felicity. It's uh, I thought, all right, cool, they're doing something different. They're, they're broke up now. All right, can somebody get an arrow in the neck? Yeah, that's I, that's what I'm here for. I didn't, um, I didn't find the actress playing Laurel to be particularly strong. I think if they had had somebody in there that was more compelling in the role, I might have been more outraged. Yeah, she was, and I don't know the actress's name, but yeah, I, I do feel like she Katie was Cassidy. Sur- I think that's possible. It sounds right, but it. I think she was surrounded by a lot of actors and actresses that were more powerful and compelling. Mm-hmm. Emily Ricard, is that her name who does Felicity? Uh, maybe. <laughs> and uh, I think Willa Holland is Speedy. You know, yeah. You've got a lot of really compelling actors and actresses. And, and yeah. Well, I mean, you know, take for example the fact that uh, the girl cast as Sarah Lance is so compelling that they brought her back from the dead and gave her her own series. You know, <laughs> she's good enough. The fact they killed her at all kind of bothers me because she's awesome as White Canary. She's one of the better parts of Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, I, I totally agree, but that's what I'm saying. Like when you can take a part and like make it compelling, yeah. then then the writers are going to do stuff with you. Yeah. If, if you can't, then they kill you off. Right. <laughs> so 
So, it, yeah, I don't have a problem with having killed Black Canary. No, but it also, um, I think Earth 2 Black Canary is still running around on, on this side of, of the uh, vibe barrier. Because I think she was brought over by the big bad on Flash last season. Oh, possible. I don't... Uh. Yeah, I don't remember. I'd have to... <laughs> At this point, there's so much good superhero TV. <laughs> I don't buy the Blu-rays or the DVDs anymore. I just, I can't afford it. Yeah, uh, but I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure that the, the Earth 2 Black Canary is running around. So that's still a possibility, I guess. And now that we have a portable dimensional rift creator that Cisco made, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> just put a little channel knob on it. You know, like the little thing that they had to do with a screwdriver to adjust tracking on VCRs. It's like, let me, let me flip from Earth 39 to 38. I'll find a new Black Canary <laughs> with Blackjack and hookers. Actually, <laughs> fuck Black Canary. <laughs> so, I mean, that's sort of what they did to, to bring in this version of, um, they, they call him HR, but uh, Harrison Wells. Right. Yeah, they, they auditioned various ones from different Earths. <laughs> And the fact that this was the least irritating or homicidal. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that actor. He's ba- he's pa- has played a different character every season, and it has been compelling and interesting every single time. Mm-hmm. I forget that actor's name, too, but... Yeah. I'm, he should be renegotiating every year. Is like, you want to play somebody else? Write the fucking check, Greg. Write it. <laughs> uh, you, you want me to come back and do somebody else? Where's my whiskey funnel? <laughs> Make it rain, Greg. Make it rain. Uh, oh, you, you, you want a reason? I burn my family alive. I like to light things on fire. <laughs> that clip might find a permanent place on the soundboard. I think it might. I think it might. So uh, the nice thing with the Arrow episode was it gave um, Katie Lotz, that's the name of the, the character, I think. Sounds uh, right. Uh, the actress who plays White Canary. And what kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> And um, Oliver closure with everything that happened because they got to play out. You know, this is what it would have been like if you guys had you know tiptoed up to the altar. They they didn't go through with it, right? Yeah, it's and Stephen Amell throughout the episode showed some real legitimate angst as he's beginning to figure out this is not real, right? And I don't get to have this. Yeah, I I, I could choose to have it, but oh, Willa Holland. When she realizes she doesn't want to leave, she's like, "I'm just, I'm going to stay here." Like, oh, absolutely! And she and, finally pulls it together, but yeah, it's a, that scene between the two of them where Oliver says, "I basically says I can't blame you." <laughs> yeah, but and then the final realization of, uh, yeah, okay, I can't afford to lose any my family again, but I realize in reality, Oliver, you're kind of it now. Yeah. So yeah, it's it was a much more emotional episode than any of the other three. <laughs> the one problem I had with it, as good as Amel and uh, Willa Holland as uh, Speedy were, everybody else seemed remarkably easygoing to find out that their lives were <laughs> bullshit. Like, Diggle's enraged when Oliver realizes, he realizes Oliver knows he's Green Arrow, and then he just sort of shows up the next day going, oh, yeah, how do we get out of this? <laughs> You know, White Canary talks to Ray, who for all intents and purposes is a fucking stranger they've yeah. never met before. And she says, have you seen anything strange? And he's like, oh, yeah, I have. This isn't real, is it? We should go. <laughs> That's because he's so smart. No, it's because <laughs> they don't give poor Brandon Routh anything to fucking do. That's true. He had almost nothing to do in this entire crossover. 
Yeah. Uh, he sort of helped figure out how to escape from uh, the Daxam, not the Daxamites, Christ, I'm going to keep doing that, the Dominators. But otherwise, the one thing he had going for him, and you pointed it out to me, he had the best line of this whole fucking series. Yep. It's uh, when uh, when they look at uh, Kara, not dressed as Supergirl, and uh, he says, you know, she reminds me of my cousin. Yeah. There's a nice riff to, <laughs> yeah, you were Superman, son of a bitch. That's, you were Superman, and, and now you're like the ninth wheel on <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow. It's a shame, because he's, he's good at playing a G-Wiz character. And to be fair, on that series, he's had one or two episodes where he's really the focus. The yeah. one where... Uh, what was it? He and Hawk Girl, mm-hmm. or was it he and uh, no? It was he and Hawk Girl uh, were trapped in time for fifteen years or something, yes. and built a relationship together and tried to make her character suck less. Yeah, that didn't work, <laughs> but gave him something to do. But yeah, God, he had well, almost this none. season. This season, he's been responsible for uh, being able to tinker with some sort of super virus that was able to cure. Um, their new character, who's Citizen Steel, who is um, hemophiliac, and also give him superpowers. <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time I hear that word, I think of the <laughs> Simpsons episode where he tries to teach Bart, where Homer tries to teach Bart how to fight. Ah. It's like, start whimpering that you're a hemophiliac. When they turn away in disgust, that's when you kick some back. <laughs> All right, so they, they give him stuff to do on the main series, yeah. that's true. But he just had so little to do. I mean, he had only slightly more to do than Mr. Terrific, who did nothing <laughs> but just suck up camera time and do nothing. What did Mr. Terrific do? He blew up their one lead. We've got us a transponder or something from the Dominators. Uh, let me <laughs> <laughs> let me stick a USB drive into it and cause a massive explosion. <laughs> I'm Mr. Terrific, everybody. <laughs> What's your superpower? I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the other cool thing was, since this is a complete unreal Matrix-like construct, it gave the episode an excuse to bring back all the cool villains from earlier Arrow seasons for yeah. one last gasp. Or at least um, the, somebody in their costumes, because I don't think Manu Bennett came back just to have no lines. It, probably not, but <laughs> that's still an awesome Deathstroke costume. It is, it And is. I'm willing to stand by that. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not a huge fan of Damien Dark, and I'm you know not a huge fan of last season. It was the week, I still like Arrow. Season four was the worst of them. I think, I think moving him over to Legends of Tomorrow makes more sense. Yeah, but I can watch Neil McDonough, who plays Damien Dark, chew the fucking scenery all day long. Oh, yeah. I mean, my God, that guy in Justified, he's, <laughs> he's earned a blank check. I don't care what he does. He could read the lottery numbers <laughs> with that big fucking insane smile. I'm fine with that. That's Wasn't he also Dum Dum Dugan in the yeah. first uh, Captain America? Yeah, in the Howling Commando. So yeah. every time that shows up. So God bless that guy. <laughs> And yeah, it's it's good to see Wild Dog. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that before. Yeah, it's this was this episode worked in a couple of different ways, and one of them was a good excuse to keep the alien CGI budget down. Yes, because since it was all a construct, it's like okay, great, it can take place in the real world. But yeah, the the human story in it with all these characters, you know, even though the idea is just straight from. Alan Moore and has been done over on Supergirl. It really worked. It made this the strongest piece of the three for me. Yeah. And I, th- I think it was also good to take a break from, okay, aliens and, and metas fighting and just, and get back to something that's a little bit more street level as it were. Cause all 
Arrow is a street level story. Right. So to have that sort of happen in the midst of an alien invasion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a neat uh, trick to pull off. Yeah. So it's it was smart writing and yeah, absolutely the best part of the three. And then there was part three, which uh, part had some four. part four. Oh, right. I have it listed here as Invasion 3, because technically the first part was Medusa, which was not right. named Invasion. Everybody else named their episodes Invasion. Right. Uh, look, I, I drink. <laughs> what do you want from me? It's okay, Anne. It's okay. <laughs> so, yes, Invasion 3, really part four. Definitely strong moments in the episode. The final battle really wasn't one of them. Mm. Uh, it had some problems. Uh, we could talk about those in a minute. Uh I mean, what about this worked for you? I mean, the first thing off the top of my head, I said it before, I can watch Felicity and Cisco all fucking day long. Yeah, I I had some problems with how Oliver's reaction from his his episode was to take out his his fear and anxiety now about aliens on Kara. That was another pure storytelling expedient moment. Oh, I, yeah, it, she's the strongest character in terms of power sets, so we need to have an excuse for her to not be involved with a large chunk of this story, even though we've gone to great pains to bring her in for this crossover. Uh, yeah, they, they Professor X calmed her. Yeah. I'm going to start making that a verb, because <laughs> that's what they had to do in the first two X-Men movies, at least. It's get him off the board somehow, because somebody who can read minds and make people do stuff makes the rest of the story go away. Yeah. So if you got Supergirl, okay, we got to take her off the board for reasons, and the reasons were shit. Yeah. Oliver saying, I need to claw back some normality in my life. It's no, you're, if there is a pragmatist anywhere on any shot of this four part series, it should be Oliver Queen Green Arrow. And a pragmatist says, you know how you claw back normality in an alien invasion? You repel the fucking aliens. Who is going to be the most effective piece on the board to repel aliens? I don't know. Maybe Supergirl. Right. But that goes back to the larger issue of their, you know, if, if the humans are viewing all aliens and painting them with the same brush, then they are a, a stand-in for the scary other. And you're bringing that up. Like I said, it has changed certain moments of how I've viewed this for me. I'm not sure this is necessarily... One of them. Now, I'm not sure I agree, I necessarily agree on this. This fe- that that can help justify what to me was on its face obvious. We can't have Supergirl around. Oh no! I'm Otherwise, not- fighting the Men in Black lasts for two seconds. No, I don't. I don't disagree. It was done out of storytelling expediency, but it also it bothered me because since that, in my opinion, I, I stand by that's how they're treating the aliens in this. It bothered me to learn that about Oliver as a character trait that he would have that kind of reaction. Right. Whereas I didn't take it personally at all because he would have said booga booga if it <laughs> would have gotten her off the board yeah. to have a cool fight with the men in black versus Flash later on in the episode. Yeah. Although I half expected and I kind of was hoping to see that she like tagged along anyway as sort of a you don't get to tell me what to do. <laughs> that is true but that's not in Supergirl's character. Yeah. She tries to be a team player at all times. I, I yeah. So, but um, I think I think also if Barry had known about it because he didn't know that that all he knew is that Oliver said something to Kara to upset her. If he had known, he would have interceded on her behalf. I think. Oh, absolutely. Because those characters, it's weird how the chains of characters all sort of come together. It's mm. I think it's always going to be 
Oliver to Barry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, yeah, Barry totally to... <laughs> to Kara. To Kara with Oliver to White Canary and Barry to Heatwave. I burned my family alive. <laughs> I like to light things on fire. You just found the excuse to hit that clip again. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. So the important things for this particular episode that, that worked were getting to watch the chemistry between Cisco and Felicity, um, getting to watch Heatwave chew the scenery. <laughs> Indeed. I won't press it again. I won't press it again. But uh... and, and getting to watch um, White Canary do her thing in the various fight scenes that she was in. I think. Yeah. Oh, actually, and also, um, I think watching as Firestorm was able to take out the uh, gene bomb. Yes. And being being able to um, accomplish a thing that he thought was not in his skill set because it was such a, an undertaking to transmute that bomb into water. It's. A, I don't think the character, the actor who plays Jackson, or the Jackson character overall, gets enough time in Legends of Tomorrow. Right. Uh, even in this episode, God, particularly compared to Professor Stein, who had a huge arc, yeah, uh, really gets short shrift. So, yeah, to see a scene like that, number one, it hammers home the relationship between the professor and Jackson. Yes. Because, yeah, it's it's the professor pushing him on, saying, you don't understand, there's personal reasons for this, you have to do this for me, and his willing to push through because of that. Uh, to, to save the professor's daughter, who he's known for 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the interesting thing, the, the, the relationship that they have to do such quick shorthand on, <laughs> because yes. he does not know her from Adam, uh, and she doesn't know that, because in her timeline, they've always had a close relationship. But this moment he has when she has a breakthrough in designing the weapon that they use to help take out the dominators when he, when he realizes that this is, this is a person and this is a person that I helped to create and, and look what she did, that legacy piece. Yes. And I hadn't picked up on that, but also similarly, I think he has a similar relationship with Jackson. So the fact that Jackson was able to also take his power to the next level and accomplish this thing with Stein's help it's two pieces that kind of mirror each other. That's true. And I hadn't really thought about that. And it does tie in with the, the legacy idea that, that you talked about. Yeah. See, I said it a million times. I like doing this show. I I, I have my mind changed about certain things and it's, that's to me, that's cool. But I try. Oh yeah. You succeed for God's sake. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. What else did I, uh, did I like in this? Uh, I did, (laughs) When Felicity and Cisco rescued Steel and Mick and Vixen, <laughs> number one, it reminded me of Time Cop. Yeah. That scene in Time Cop where just two people with automatic weapons could utterly decimate people <laughs> with primitive weapons. And uh, just that line, which I probably should have pulled out, is anybody call for tech support? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, then Heat Wave's response, saved by geeks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, what else? Yeah, Cisco finally realizing he was too hard on Barry. Because uh, Oliver had a point in that part two episode where Barry was really being hard on himself for what he did. He's like, absolutely. And I think that also was kind of an overall theme. Mm. Well, I don't know if it was an overall theme, but the idea that anybody who was in a position to do that would try to make their lives better. Yeah. It's human nature. If Which you- is why it's interesting when he when he 
in that position later on, even though it's sort of a, a dream sequence. Right. Cisco doesn't try to do it for himself, but he tries to do the right thing and alters the timeline. It's just it's it's human nature. If you have the power to go back in time and fuck with stuff, that's that's why I always hate the question: Would you go back in time and kill baby Hitler? Yeah, <laughs> or I might just send him to art school. Like I, you know, give him an outlet. <laughs> no, you don't get that choice. You get to go back to when he's a baby and snuff him out in his crib. Eh, maybe I just move him over like state lines. Leave him out in the woods. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I hate that story. I think everybody would try to do the right thing and somehow fuck it up. Maybe if I raise him. No, no. Yeah. It, it, I would actually probably do nothing because I've seen Primer. <laughs> and anybody who's seen Primer, they would give the fucking wave rider a wide fucking berth. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I do keep waiting for a scene in Legends of Tomorrow where some dude we've only seen in the background like starts coming, wandering around with a shotgun, jabbering like he's seen shit that he should never have seen, <laughs> driven him nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, besides, I, I like seeing Cisco. Angry Cisco, you can't take seriously because he's like a he's like a growling puppy. <laughs> he's he's just too adorable to take seriously as an angry guy. Oh, you're so angry. <laughs> Who's angry, Cisco? <laughs> uh, and Sarah and White Canary. Sarah and White Canary. White Canary uh, and Cisco work together surprisingly well. Yes. <laughs> Although I shouldn't have been surprised. You know, bubbly enthusiasm tempered with dry sarcasm. That's Abbott and Costello shit. That always works. Right. I'm surprised it took somebody long enough to figure out, no, put these guys together somewhere, even just for a couple minutes. You get some good <laughs> shit out of them. So that that worked out for me. Yeah, no, that was, that was nice to see. But that, again, it gets back to, if you have an actor who's strong enough in a, in a character and they're making it their own, they're going to find excuses to use that character. Yes, and that was a combination that worked. I, I want to see Cisco cross over for a couple episodes, just fly around <laughs> in the Wave Rider. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, make him the mechanic until Rip comes back. Fuck it. Yeah, you well, could do it right now. It won't happen, but you could do it right now easily. It's like, okay, Barry, I've forgiven you, but I need a break from this. I'm going to go with them uh, until Rip Hunter comes back. Yeah, because uh, what's his name who plays Rory? I think he's still on contract. I think he's coming back. I think he is, but. That'd be a great excuse. Yeah, to put Arthur the, Dar- Darvel. Thank you. I would never have thought of that in a million years. <laughs> okay. As soon as you said it, it's like, yep, that's the name. But I don't think that'll happen, but it, it's a perfect excuse to do it. So what didn't work for you? Oh, we already talked about Oliver asking Kara to stay out of the battle. It just it leapt out at me that you're just doing this for the storytelling reasons. Yeah. And yeah, to, to give us... That granted, it gave us that awesome scene of the Flash versus the Men in Black that I think was played perfectly. It was. It's like okay, he goes into motion. I grab this bullet. I'll move this. That's straight out of for me William Messner Loeb's Flash, mm. like right after Mike Barron. So probably my second favorite uh, Flash run. <laughs> uh, that that was great. And then yeah, he's not omnipotent. So look, I took care of all this. Oh, it's a sniper. On it. <laughs> yeah, and he's on it, but it also opens up, it shows he's not in charge of everything, and it opens up the next wave to come in so everybody else could fight. It was a well-written action sequence. Yes. So I really like that a lot. Um, but you only get that if Oliver's like, oh, I need to claw back some normalcy. So let me put on my vigilante mask and load up my trick arrows and go with my super speed friend to meet the President of the United States. Because I gotta claw back some fucking normalcy. Yeah, because that's normal. <laughs> Heat wave, do you need to claw back some normalcy? I burn my family alive. I like to light things on fire. 
going to be muttering that in your sleep tonight. Probably. <laughs> uh, what else didn't work? The final battle I really had trouble with. Because it, it was wave and it, wave it, of alien versus like nine people. It's a look. The rooftop stuff was generally thrilling to watch. It was mm. good action. Uh, the main problem I had with number one, let's have the final battle on a rooftop. There's dominators all over the world, but let's, for the sake of visual action, assume it's on this rooftop. Why? Because we can't afford the whole world, right. but we can put everybody on a rooftop and hide a crane so we can bring. Uh, so we can bring Melissa Benoist. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Up in the air, and so we'll, we'll pretend it's all happening on a rooftop. Yeah. It's it was good action. The the main problem I had with that action was there was one great moment where Vixen channeled an elephant. Oh, that was pretty pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Except but, everybody paused. Like it was like everybody was watching, waiting for the elephant to finish manifesting. Right. <laughs> but then the problem is they didn't do anything with it. Just show her go across the fucking rooftop and blow dominators off each side of the goddamn rooftop. Yeah, nope. it was more, okay, now she has the proportionate strength of an elephant and she's using it to do karate kicks. Yeah, it's a, it felt like a, a it was a great moment that wasn't cashed in on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, show me stomping dominators like a five-year-old on an anthill. Just <laughs> show me destruction. Yeah. The biggest problem I had is the overall... Professor Stein slash daughter device and mm. that part of the plan only holds up if you don't think about it even for a second because it's like, okay, my daughter and I created this device that causes great pain and a dominator. That's awesome. Have you built a million of them? Because we need a million of them because yeah. they're all over the fucking world. You get the impression that somehow they just they, they plugged the program into a 3D printer and then came up with a million of them. Yeah, somehow. And I've seen 3D printers. Of the, <laughs> the first 90 Seep. of them are, are a wad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the next one takes 45 minutes. Yeah. And even if you built the million of them, okay, and you gave it to the Flash and to Supergirl, who have no pockets. Yeah. And they're not carrying any form of sack or bag or even a grocery <laughs> store plastic bag. Yeah. I, I Keeping them down their pants. I don't know. <laughs> In Supergirl's bra. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I could buy the, okay, here's a thing. But it's, the minute you start thinking about it, that kind of falls apart. Yeah, it's... It was like a shuttle run. There was a box of them somewhere, and so they were just running out individually with each one and then back to the box. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> not it's efficient. Like, it's like UPS routing. It's like, <laughs> I need you to pick this up and send it across town. Okay, well, no, we're going to pick it up and we're going to send it to Florida. Once we sort it, then it's going to go to California. Yeah. So yeah, the, the whole final battle, uh, there was some good action, but you really had to turn your brain off for it to make any goddamn sense whatsoever. It seemed like the, the biggest moment that they put it on the rooftop to make happen was that Oliver would fall off and that Kara would save him regardless of the falling out they had had earlier. Right. But even then, yeah. he's Green Arrow. He shouldn't need saving. Shouldn't. Because I was waiting for the, oh, he's off the side. He's going to go for the arrow that he uses every other time he's pushed off a rooftop. Right. But it's it, it, it gave the moment that the story needed for them to reach an understanding with a typical terse Oliver Queen slash Stephen Amell. I'll give you a nod to show... Everything's all right between us. Yeah, I'm not going to say thank you. This is why all my girlfriends hate me, but yeah. <laughs> I'll nod. Yeah. And, and you know something? I liked the very end of the episode where historically we've gotten Flash versus Green Arrow, and this time it's just, you know, we should... They reminisced know. about Flash versus Green Arrow. <laughs> yeah, it's a, we should do something. It's like, Barry, what would we do? Because realistically, yeah, they don't have a thing in common, except they've worked together a lot, and... 
that was really kind of a nice moment for me. It's there are people I work with who, yeah, I would not hang out with them, but there's enough of a shared experience that, yeah, let's go have a beer and talk shop. Yeah. Because we respect each other and we know how to do our jobs and we're both in the trenches. So that, that felt very human to me. Yes. And I liked that a lot. And it spoke to, okay, here's, here's a way you claw back some normalcy. Right. Go out and have a beer. Exactly. <laughs> Don't be a dick to others. Yep. A beer and several shots. <laughs> some Jaeger bombs. No, no now Jaeger. Let's, no, let's start a fight. Because <laughs> we're superheroes and we're going to win. Are, are you going out drinking with heat wave? Is that what this is? <laughs> I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. That's awesome. Would you like another drink? <laughs> I mean, that whole... Somebody burn the fucking bar down! <laughs> I mean, that, that final party was, I, I think, fun on a variety of levels, because you know, people are standing around trying to be civilized, having some champagne to celebrate the moment, and then you have Sarah wandering through with, I got a flask, who wants to come with me for adult beverages? <laughs> God, I would drink with white canary i really like that character <laughs> and um and then yeah the the joke that we talked about where um felicity looks at at kara in her street clothes with her identity saving glasses and oh yeah it's like looking in a mirror and brandon roots like she she reminds me of my cousin actually <laughs> and and then just the i was so drunk <laughs> you had to stop the episode it's like that's a great line i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> Don't know. He was Superman once. <laughs> what? Who? What? <laughs> He's the Adam. He's the Adam. <laughs> they had to drill it into my head. I'm a terrible drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but then, um, you know, the you know, then they they had a further reconciliation between Oliver and Kara, and an uncomfortable group hug for for Oliver from Barry and Kara. Yep, that didn't break his ribs. <laughs> and then. And then, <laughs> when um, the man in black douchebag shows up to try to be a downer, Kara is just like, so, I talked to the president about you, Agent Smith. <laughs> yeah, just relentlessly cheerful. Yeah. She's destroyed his life. Yeah. Number one, the biggest thing I, that guy should have been chain smoking Morley's. <laughs> that would have been glorious. But yeah, that's, <laughs> it, it was a very... Human conclusion. Yes. Uh, right down to heat wave, going straight back to skirt, call me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and right down to poor Ray Palmer slash Brandon Routh doing nothing. Doing nothing. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> At least he got to have some champagne. Yes. So it, it was in no way a perfect crossover. There was a lot of fun to it. Yeah. It's certainly ambitious. If you think about, you know... <laughs> We've talked about it before. When Arrow started, you and I got hammered, and just we're, we were ready to just tear it to pieces. I, I live tweeted it that that night drunkenly. Yeah, and it, we're just because <laughs> we were a season away from the eleventh season of Smallville, yeah. which never delivered on its promise. I don't think we got a full figured standing. Show me your face. Superboy, who the hell played Superboy in that one? Uh, uh, Tom Welling. Yeah, in the costume. We saw a costume, but yep. no, I know. Yeah, we got moments with old Justice Society, and we saw Booster Gold. So the the show had moments, but it never really delivered. It, it was a, a far better soap opera than a superhero story. Yes. So to to go from that 
and Arrow, which when it first started was just clearly just a way for let's try to do a Christopher Nolan Batman movie on TV. Yes. And particularly that first season, as dark and gritty as it was, where he was the hood and a killer. In five years, we've gone to four different shows, and we've brought in Constantine from a whole different fucking network just to tie that in. Yeah. And this giant crossover that... Yeah, if you tried to do it as a movie, it would be a $200 million movie, but it's just the, it's, we're doing it on the week after Thanksgiving. Fuck it, because we're going to do it because we can. And we've only got so much of a budget because we've got, you know, overall, God, poor Greg Berlanti and company, what, 23 to almost 100 episodes of television we got to dump out before May. <laughs> Let's try <laughs> to find a way to do this and make it big and world-spanning as possible it's not perfect. There are parts that look cheap. There are parts of Invasion that were just clawed straight out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really, a, it's impressive and entertaining what they were able to do. Do you wish it was perfect? Ain't nothing going to be perfect. No, but, you know, the the joy I felt watching an ensemble on, on my TV screen. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, in all of their superhero costumes and poses and it... it, it Gave me chills. I'm like, yeah, this is this is why we do this. It's, there were a few <laughs> great moments in it, and yeah, if you think about it, it was if you take out most of the first episode in Supergirl, the, okay, you've got uh, 42 minutes of television times three plus a couple minutes in the first. Yeah. So they're talking about a three hour movie, three four hour movie, basically, right? <laughs> that just showed up in your house. We've already bought tickets to go see Star Wars Rogue One. You have to plan ahead and go and be in a place. And then this is just, it, it was here. It's there if you want it. Yep. And if you're a superhero geek, why the fuck don't you want it? Exactly. Now, could it could it have been better? Sure. There are parts that are really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly there were parts you had to turn your brain off. It's, oh, you made a million of them? <laughs> <They're> okay. In- <laughs> It's, they're in Supergirl's panties. <laughs> You're flying them around the world. To nanotech. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, certainly I can nitpick on it all day long, and God knows uh, I have. I'm sure I could watch it again and come up with another one, but uh, I generally enjoyed the hell out of it. I did, too. All right. And if nothing else, it gave us... I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. Who doesn't, Mick? Who doesn't? Well, I'm psyched for for next week's episode, too, because it looks like they're bringing back uh, Captain Cold on Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, God. I, uh, I, no, I can't think of that actor's name. Um, and we're not going to think of it. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> the other guy from Prison Break. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad he's coming back. Hopefully he'll come back in a more permanent capacity. Hopefully. But All right. You want to talk about a couple comics? What? Which one do you want to start with? Oh, let's start with let's start with the let's start with the positive one. Okay. Total, totally awesome Hulk number 12. Yes. Uh, written by Greg Pack, art by um Mahmoud uh, Asrar. What kind of parents would name their kid that? I I probably got that wrong, but <laughs> So, yes, this is the uh final issue of the Hulk sub arc. Mm of Civil War II, and yeah, my initial notes say, wait a minute, heroes can talk to each other without oh my fighting? <laughs> That's hard to believe. So yeah, it's a, it's the end of Amadeus Cho's arc in Secret Wars 2, unless we find out that that earlier vision by 
uh, Ulysses was of him of, of him going berserk. Which please God, I'm hoping it's not because this was actually a very solid, hopeful, upbeat ending as things go, as things go within the yeah. scope of Civil War Two. I think it's the most satisfying sub story of almost any in this event. Yes. So, any initial impressions you want to give, or um, I I liked the flashback that um, they had where he Amadeus is talking to Bruce yes. and. Bruce is talking about how anger is his particular downfall and he can't control his anger. Yeah, to, to set the stage, it's Amadeus has already cured Bruce. So they're they're talking about how Amadeus might handle being the Hulk versus how Bruce did. Yeah. And so Amadeus needs to figure out how he can control his particular um, area of need emotionally, which is his pride, because that that will be the thing that gets in the way of him being a successful Hulk. And we see how that plays out in this because... There's a a big bad they go up against, and Amadeus wants to be the the genius to solve it, and that's a pride thing. It is, but his whole arc through Secret Wars 2, and arguably back from the beginning of Totally Awesome Hulk, has Mm. been, he's driven by his pride. And he always has been as a character, identifying himself as, oh, I'm the, and I forget the number, seventh smartest, ninth smartest person on the planet, that's always how he defined himself. So it's, I will always, I always know best. I will always know best. I will always figure out the best way. And if I think of it, it's because I'm the nth smartest person in the world. And therefore, if I do it, it's right. Right. Which is one thing if you're a kid with a coyote puppy in your jacket. It's another thing when you're the goddamn fucking Hulk. Right. So. Right. So he is schooled on some things because he isn't the smartest person in the room. It turns out his sister is. At least, at least common sense-wise. Yeah, at least as far as solving this particular issue. And that takes him down a peg, and it takes him down even further when she, at the end of, of this issue, is like, and I'm not going to work with you anymore. I'm not going to enable your behavior. I can't be a part of this, and walks off. Right. Yeah, it's... It really takes her to be the voice of reason for everybody in the story. She is the the person who makes the Panther and the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent whose name uh, escapes me. Agent O. Yeah, <laughs> Agent O. <laughs> Man in black? Maybe. <laughs> but uh, figure out that they have to, to work together and stop fighting on each other. And yeah, that, that's when they start to come up with a strategy together. And that's how superhero team up, superhero team ups are supposed to wind up. Exactly. Which we're not getting from Civil War. We got it in Invasion on TV, mm-hmm. and at least here we got it with okay, we're going to find a way to defeat the villain who is not one of us, right? And we'll deal with the ramifications of whatever I Amadeus have done afterwards. So that was after. <laughs> after everything that's happened in Civil War Two, oh, this is kind of refreshing. I enjoy this. And yeah, she really forces Amadeus back to his default state as, no, think. Eat something and fucking help me think of this. Yes. And she does. he's not the one who thinks of the solution, but it forces him sort of out of his Hulk mindset. Right. Which I think was a smart thing to do right out of the gate. <laughs> but because ultimately everything worked out in part because of that. Yes. But yeah, she forces him to to face his pride, and yeah, it was 
<laughs> I don't know when I first when I saw that first flashback. It's like you know Banner saying, you know, oh, I think it's your pride that'll help you control the Hulk. But it's like we're talking about Bruce Banner here. <laughs> he thought Rick Jones was worth ruining ruining his own fucking life over. <laughs> and I've got limited respect for anybody whose intellect leads them to think sacrificing more than cab fare for <laughs> Marvel's snapper car is a good fucking idea. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's she sees his problem. It's uh, like I said, his pride makes him think he knows everything. And if you think you know everything. You think that what you decide to do is right, and it's a blind spot that hobbles him, and it makes all the difference in the world for the final scene. Yes. So, and yeah, that final scene is, I think, the best part of Civil War II so far. Yeah, and the, and the final scene is he finally does track down Clint Barton to confront him. He's not sure what he's going to do, but he all he knows is he needs to confront Barton. Right, that's been his mission throughout this arc. And I, I think it's been pretty clear, at least for a large part of it, he could say what he wants. He knew what he was going to do. Yeah. It's if before this battle in Austin happened, he'd found Barton, you could bury Barton in a sandwich bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it worked for me for a lot of reasons. Number one, it actually made someone on Captain Marvel's side at least face some justice. Yes. You know, even if it's emotional justice, <laughs> at least somebody finally has to face down, shit, I've done this thing, and now here are potentially the consequences. You took my friend, I want my friend back. Right. Uh, second, Hawkeye's been pretty much off the board since his trial. Yeah. He's popped up now and again, and the first issue, and Christ, now I can't think of it, uh, the, the series that he's going to be a part of that, thanks to Civil War being late, has already debuted, and I forget what the series is. I Again, can't thank you, Berkshire Brewing Company. <laughs> lost Sailor IPA. Uh, lost Sailor, Lost Brain Cells. Yes. <laughs> I should call it Dead Soldier IPA because I'm just <laughs> knocking them down. Uh, not having seen him as much as we could, you know, he went through his trial and he was acquitted and he kind of disappeared. He's popped up here and there, but it's good to see some real remorse from him. Yes. That we knew he felt it, but. With everything that's happened in Civil War too, it's like show me somebody understands that all this shit is wrong. Yeah. So I'm glad to finally see that. Part of what's been satisfying about this, and it was equally satisfying to see it go away, is for everything that's happened, the Hulk, if anybody, could cut through all this bullshit and enforce whatever form of justice he wants. Yeah. Nobody can stop him. And to have him go in and say, acknowledge, I could do this. It's like, yes, I wish somebody would. Yeah. But at the same time, it would make him no better than Captain Marvel. Exactly. So it's just showing that you can be the bigger person despite. And it's, I think, part of the problem I'm having with Captain Marvel in this because as far as I'm concerned, the end of this you could read easily as an indictment of the entirety of Civil War. Yeah. Because Amadeus acknowledges, I can do anything I want. I have the power to do it, and it feels good to enforce my will. And I could, just like Captain Marvel can. And I, I believe just as much Carol Danvers is as driven by pride oh, absolutely. and loss as Amadeus is. She lost Rhodey and got this power to have the future predicted for her and lets opportunities where she could just step back and say, you know, I think this could play out a whole different way where I'm not the person who makes everything right. Like we talked about it last week, yeah. where if the problem is you think Spider-Man is going to kill Captain America on the steps of the Capitol, let Spider-Man go home. 
Right. But if you let Spider-Man go home, you didn't fix it. You're not the one who made justice done. Yeah. I think there's just as much, I don't want to say lust for power, but drunk on power in the face of loss and wrongheadedly thinking, I have lost and I will use this power to make it right that Amadeus is facing. And yet Amadeus is able to step back finally and say, but it, it's it's not going to bring my friend back. Right. I don't think Carol has the capacity to say that at this point. No, she's she's nowhere near ready to acknowledge that. I'm hoping at some point, if if they're going to continue to, I mean, they are continuing to use her as a character, but I, I would like her to have to face that realization and, and say the words. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> it's got to happen eventually. God damn it. She's a criminal with a movie coming out. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to shit on Civil War anymore. She, she's a criminal, and, and she's not been made to, to pay for any of her crimes. Yeah, it's uh, look, it's part of why I like this issue as much as I did. Amadeus was able to understand, I've got the power to do what I want. I've got the power to enforce whatever justice I think is necessary. And it might make me feel better to do it, but it won't bring my friend back. Yeah. And Amadeus understands that and reaches out to Hawkeye while Captain Marvel last week killed Tony Stark. Right. So that's why I will stand by this issue up against almost any for, for having an emotional impact of anything in Civil War. Right. And that's why Captain Marvel, they're going to have to do a lot to redeem that character for me. I'm not sure how they could, frankly, at this point. We talked about it all of last week, and I don't want to rehash it. I've read <laughs> nothing this week that can make me... That's not true. I have read one thing that could, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, <laughs> and I'll get into why I think it could be the thing that finally tip things over. But yeah, this was... It's weird. This, this book took me a couple reads to really hit me as hard as it did, because I, I read it early on. It's like, okay, that's that's a good ending. It's Of course, the Hulk wouldn't kill Hawkeye. And, and you put it back in my face today and said, think about this one as one to talk about. And yeah. uh, having read it another couple times, yeah, this is the best part of Civil War II so far. I agree. And given how Civil War II is, number one, I don't want to say that damning it with faint praise, because it's really, a, it's been a solid arc. But yeah, this is how superheroes are supposed to act. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's as much about having a power set and the ability to you know track down criminals as it is to be a role model in your behavior. Exactly. <laughs> I'm all about role models this week. I burn my family alive. I like to light things on fire. <laughs> so yeah, this one this one is a definite read and I'm looking forward to what, what comes next with it. Yes. All right. A- anything else on Totally awesome Hulk. Nope, it's totally awesome though. Okay, uh, this one less so. Yeah, although it's got some really solid moments in it. But it uh, does. All right, so Beast does a lot to to save this book. Yeah. Uh, all right, and humans versus X Men number zero because yes. that's how we number issues now <laughs> when we have an event coming out. Uh, written by Charles Sewell, art by Kenneth Rockefort. So and you yeah. can tell because all of these ladies' boobs are the size of their head, <laughs> if not bigger. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> the size of my head, and I got a huge melon. <laughs> so, yeah, my first note here is uh, we're not done with Civil War Two, and we got another Civil War in the Marvel Universe brewing. My excitement. Let me show you it. <laughs> All right. 
I have an observation about uh, structure, but before we do that, why don't you take point to start with before I start getting into the vagaries of comic storytelling and some of the more impressive things I saw in this, even though, man, I'm tired of watching heroes punch on each other until someone dies. Yeah. All right. So I'm hoping that this story arc slash event finally just puts to bed whether or not we're going to continue with the Inhumans. Honestly, <laughs> the Inhumans will never go away because their history dates back to early Fantastic Four. Yeah, whether, but whether we're going to see them as go back oh, into the margins, right? And yeah, put them next to the Eternals. Yeah, put them on the bench until you know, we got an A list writer who wants to do something weird. Well, we got Inhumans <laughs> and Eternals. Eternals and Inhumans. What do you feel like, Neil? <laughs> Neil, you already did the Eternals. Have some Inhumans. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, sorry right. about that. That's all right. So this, what I liked about this story is it looks like we're setting up, um, putting some characters back into roles they have more historically been in. Emma Frost gets to go back to being the White Queen, which is, you know, cold and evil and manipulative and for the purposes of you know, furthering what she sees as the need to protect the mutants Yes, while ironically dressed as the Black Queen. Yeah, while ironically. Who is, who is Jean Grey. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it also gives um, Magneto the opportunity, same thing. Like It's it's less of an anti-hero thing, and it's almost closer back to Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah, we're going to declare war, is what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, meanwhile... You know, Beast actually, like I said, is is the best part of this because right now he's trying to work out a solution to the Terrigen Mist problem for the mutants because somehow the Terrigen Mist acts on the X gene and causes something called the M pox. <laughs> yes, it does, which uh, kills mutants. And... and Scott Summers has died from this, although Emma Frost is letting the world believe Black Bolt did it. Correct. For the purposes of spinning things to create this war. Yes, uh, it also killed Jamie Madrox, and as somebody who historically has never really read any X books, but has every issue of X Factor from the 2000s, yeah. including the omnibus volumes that have been coming out, uh, that's that's an infamilia. Yeah. That's unforgivable. Yeah. So... Do-do-do-do. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, all right, this, this is our next event... Can it at least serve a purpose? Can it at least, you know, give us a, a sense of which of these particular non-human or ultra-human? <laughs> yes, uh, it 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 has to serve some kind of purpose because personally, I do not give a shit about the Inhumans. I've talked about it over and over on the show. I don't care. They do nothing for me. Yeah. And frankly, any plot that requires me to care about either the Inhumans or avenging Scott Summers, <laughs> you're down two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're down two with an umpire with a tight strike zone. You're not <laughs> likely to win this one. It could happen. But not likely. It's it's not likely. However, uh, before before I get to that, there's it's got a route where it can it can win for me. But I'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um the main thing I wanted to talk about, the best thing I liked about this issue, even though I don't really care about either side, was what I saw as a storytelling, I don't want to say trick, but mm. but a, a way of telling the story that I thought was very interesting, 
Uh, I think Sewell has done something clever with this book structurally. We've got two opposing story storylines. Mm. We've got Beast on one side. He's positive. He's trying to find a cure for the mutant pox. He's trying to save mutant kind and therefore not only save mutants, but avoid hostilities with the Inhumans. Yes. The second, we've got Emma Frost, is purely negative. She's actively preparing to go to war with the Inhumans. Not to save mutant kind, although that's a nice bonus, being a mutant, but she wants to avenge what she thinks is the death of, at, at some point, somehow seems to think is the death of Cyclops at Black, Bot's, Black Bolt's hands. Yes. Except, number one, it makes Emma Frost the only person in the world who's sad to see Cyclops is dead. But well, They were boning. But it's it also it makes Emma batshit crazy because yeah Scott was killed in the first ep- issue of uh, Death of X by the uh, the Mpox and Emma was using a psychic projection to sort of keep his cause alive. Right. That's what Black Bolt blew up. Emma should know this, but there's a couple panels where she's talking with the Stepford Cuckoos where mm-hmm. she doesn't seem to acknowledge that, which means that Scott should have listened to the internet, which says <laughs> you should never stick your dick in crazy. So. <laughs> But my point is, with these two stories, the actual physical structure of the book is constructed so they're kind of generally told in parallel. You've got one story on the left-hand side and one on the right-hand side. Yes. Now, to start with, it's Beast's story of hope on the left, which means that's the leading story with Emma's on the right. Around the middle of the issue, they switch. Mm. So as Beast is failing to find a cure and... Tensions are growing higher. Now his story is secondary as he continues to fail, but Emma's takes the primary, this is what I read first position. Yeah. And the overall effect, yeah, it was to me it was subtle, but it, it showed, yeah, the hope is losing. War is coming. It's becoming the primary story here. And I thought that was a really interesting way to physically structure the book. Yeah, and... It's it, it's also an interesting commentary on on just sort of like life in general. Like hope is <laughs> hope is losing. <laughs> I don't want this to become a political show. No, but I, I do have questions. Who who is Emma talking to at the Hellfire Club? Who who I mean, is that? <laughs> I thought it was Sebastian Shaw. There, there may have been one or two others there. I'm no, there. It's it's a woman of some sort. She's got boobs. <laughs> Oh, I thought that was Emma. No. No? No. No. Jean Grey's back. Fuck. (laughs) I don't know who it is, but uh, I'm curious. Okay, I I missed that. I I didn't pick up on that at all. I I assumed it was Emma on both, and she was talking to Sebastian Shaw. Yeah, uh, it says, you'll need need to get started now. You'll need a plausible backstory, and that'll take time. Like, okay, so who who needs a plausible backstory? (laughs) Uh, Charles Sewell. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, my, my initial thought is, all right, it's, it's a woman who's at the Hellfire Club. So, yeah, it's either Jean Grey, which is not likely. God, I hope it's not Jean Grey. Unless they're bringing back some other clone of Jean Grey. God, I hope it's not Madeline Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> or, given that the, the character is drawn to look shiny, is this a new iteration of Dazzler? Uh, who is first seen oh. performing at the Hellfire Club when she de- debuts. You just want to see Dazzler fucking everywhere. <laughs> That's wishful thinking. You see Dazzler in every closet. You see Dazzler in the fucking credits of every Marvel movie. He's shiny. <laughs> <laughs> no goddamn Dazzler. You can't have Dazzler at the Hellfire Club. You know why? For $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. That's the Hellfire Club. <laughs> 
when the women all wear bustiers and have Rockerford tits. <laughs> Is that a new adjective? Sure, why not? All right. That can't be the title of the show, no, for God's sake. No, um, One other thing that I, I thought was interesting in the storytelling that I, I liked. Again, I'm, I'm trying to go with what I liked because, again, I don't give a fuck about either side and I don't care who wins. Yeah, um, it's a good way to go into it. I like the metaphor of Emma testing how quickly she can turn to diamond to yes. become hardened, so to speak, which is a little bit on the nose. Mm. Uh, it's certainly where she's diving off cliffs with a stopwatch saying, I'm going to wait until the last possible instant. Uh, but I, I liked it in that it was kind of subtle, but when she first saw time traveling, young Scott, yeah. for, who was taken out of the timeline after Age of Ultron uh, by Brian Michael Bendis, uh, who doesn't love us and hates time travel <laughs> uh, and really should listen to Rip Hunter. But <laughs> as soon as she saw him, we didn't see it overtly happen because in the panel where she saw him, her back was turned. As soon as she saw Scott, she turned to Diamond. Right. She was not Diamond before that. So, and a little diamond tear falls to the ground. Yes, and somewhere a homeless person in San Francisco just managed to sell that and buy a half month's worth of rent from some Google uh, <laughs> Airbnb. But anyway, yes, uh, it's I. It was a little bit on the nose, particularly to start with. But that one moment where it sort of happened off panel, so you sort of have to pay attention to. Yes, all right, she just did this, and it's because she saw a version of Scott Summers. I thought that was. Pretty effective. Yes. It was a good combination of uh, writing and visual storytelling on Rockefeller's part. Yes. You can say what you want about, you know, the boobs, but the, the guy can tell a half-decent story so long as there are boobs to keep us all interested. <laughs> I think particularly him. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's otherwise... Yeah, well, I, Honestly, to be fair, if there's anybody who's going to draw Emma Frost like in her, her typical lack of clothing state, it may as well be Rockefort. It's it's really in his yeah, wheelhouse. Get him. <laughs> Milos Monera. <laughs> although she's less ass. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you might as well. So yeah, but I mean, the problem is it, it's more super, it's going to be more superheroes fighting superheroes. Yes. Which uh, I'm headed up to here with. And it's going to be more superheroes fighting superheroes until somebody else dies because we've already killed Cyclops. Yes. We've already killed Jamie Madrox. And if you've killed Jamie Madrox, you've killed 100% of the mutants I care about. No, you've killed 90% of the mutants I care about. Layla Miller, I still would like to see that she's okay. Yes. But, <laughs> so, the one thing I have hoped for, which I mentioned before, is that this battle happens and that somebody questions why Captain Marvel and her preemptive justice program weren't able to see it and stop it and she takes the fucking fall. Yes. That's the... That's the impetus for, oh no, it turns out it wasn't a wizard all along. It was just an angry blonde who was drunk with power. (laughs) Um, That's that's my great hope for this because seriously, I'm all Civil War'd out. If you look back, and I did, (laughs) Marvel should be able to come up with an event that doesn't, man, I'm drunk, that doesn't have all their heroes fucking fighting each other. Because they do it over and over and over again. Oh, I don't disagree. Although, I, the one thing I did find somewhat telling, I think, in this, is I didn't see Ulysses anywhere. Which makes me wonder if he makes it out of Civil War. I don't know. One would think he must have to be taken off the board, whether he's killed or taken into custody, or he has some kind of iron mask put on his face where he can't read anything. Because, yeah, if you got somebody who can see the future on your team, you're probably going to win. Yeah. It's sort of built in. 
whether he is or not, again, I, I went back through and just looked at, there is, believe it or not, a Wikipedia list of Marvel events and DC events. And just looking back, we got Inhumans versus X-Men. We've had Death of X, mm-hmm. Civil War II, Secret Wars, Avengers versus X-Men, and Schism. Yeah. All since 2012. It's just event after event after event of superheroes fighting superheroes. Rumor has it, there are bad guys in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. There are. Maybe a superhero could fight a fucking supervillain now and again. You'd, you'd think. Yeah. You'd think. <laughs> um, Dan Slott's got the clone conspiracy going <laughs> on, so at least he's fighting the Jackal. Yes. But even then, the big Spider-Man thing a couple of years ago was, oh no, the bad guy wins. Right. But even then, at least there was a bad guy. I was cool with that. Superior. I'll take Superior Spider-Man over anything on that list. Any fucking day of the week. That that's valid. I'm just I'm tired of superheroes killing each other with an uneasy detente afterwards. Right. It's like DC right now, as far as I'm concerned, is winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is a big week for DC of publishing annuals, which are a hard thing to review because most yeah. of DC annuals have four or five stories in them. Yeah, I read the Batman one today. I I enjoyed it for the most part. Yeah. But yeah, there are all little four or five page stories. Yeah, so it's uh, and the the DC New Talent Showcase came out, and there were one or two good stories in there, which I read when I was drunk. I can't remember. <laughs> um, I think yes. I like think I like the Dead Man story. I forget who did that one, but yeah, was that Sabella? Might have been. Okay, it's possible. <laughs> so yeah, Marvel, stop having your heroes fucking punch each other. <laughs> Write a villain for fuck's sake. I hear they exist. Or or let the people who are behaving villainously at least, you know, get some justice served on them. Exactly. Find a villain. Find a guy who says... I burn my family alive. I like to light things on fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got anything else or you want to wrap this up? I think that's it. All right. So... Don't know where you found this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook, uh, our Facebook page, where you can always send us a message, even if I don't post as much as I absolutely should there. Uh, but you can get us at facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? You did. Okay. Every once in a while, I want to stop and make sure. That's, you got it. All right. We're on uh, Tumblr. Not so you've noticed, but we're there. Uh, crisis on infinite midlives.tumblr.com. We are on iTunes. And if that's how you get your podcasts, you can certainly subscribe to us there. Uh, otherwise, if you get a minute, if you could give us a review or give us a rating, helps new people find the show. Uh, where else are we? We're on TuneIn radio. We're on, uh, Google play network. We're on stitcher. Mm-hmm. We're proud members of the comics podcast network. You can always email us. If you want to send us a message, crisis on infinite, Ugh. Man, the crisis IP- on infinite midlives at gmail.com. Man, this Lost Sailor IPA is stronger than Steel Rail Pale <laughs> Ale. I need to remember that for future episodes. So <laughs> you're ruined. <laughs> <laughs> I'm broken. <laughs> All right, let's do the show. We're ready. Showtime, a holes. All right, this has been episode 135. Yes. Of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening. Call 911 and derp. <laughs> I am Groot. Showtime, a-holes. <laughs> Who did this to me? <laughs> the end of the US wall. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs>